Hey everybody out in podcast land, it's just me tonight, Sir Cheerio. So uh, get ready, got a real treat for you. Settle in as I recount the time I won a gold medal in the Lambra Cat 4 Time Trial Championships. It's going to be a minute-by-minute, blow-by-blow account of probably the most exciting race of this year. Only joking. No, what we've actually got tonight is a phone interview with a gentleman named Thomas Gibbons. We've been trying to uh, get this the ball rolling on doing some uh, some more interviews with people, and I suggested we interview Thomas because he's got a great story to tell, and I think you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, this is going to be the first of many to come. There may be a few... Uh, we certainly had a few glitches on the night, last night when we recorded it. Uh, Thomas... Eternally grateful to you. You were uh, a wonderful sport and a great interviewee, and we had a really amazing time. So, uh, without further ado, let's start the show. Tonight we have Thomas Gibbons on the phone and uh, very excited to talk to you. Um, you'd like to be called Tom, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, Tom or, works for me. Or Tomake? Is that, Tom, is no, that? <laughs> uh, that's reserved. Uh, <laughs> the family in Belgium calls me Tomaske. Tomaske, uh, okay. Yeah. No, Tom's good. We'll, we'll stick with Tom. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so... A little bit of background. I first heard uh, of you through your sister, who I used to work with. Uh, we both used to work at an advertising agency here in New Orleans, and actually, your sister-in-law uh, worked there too. So, no, um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, so your sister Sam knew that there were a couple of us there that liked riding bikes and stuff, and. Uh, and then she said, oh, yeah, my, my brother races bikes. And, and we were like, oh, okay, where, where is it? She said, she said oh, yeah, he's, he's over racing in Belgium. And so we were like, what? And, <laughs> uh, and then we started stalking you. Uh, yeah, that's fair. You know, on the internet. And, uh, and we were, you know, it was really impressive. So, uh, you know, can you, to start with, can you tell us a little bit about how you first got into riding and racing? Yeah, so I grew up at the beach surfing, and one summer at a surf contest, it was particularly flat, so me and my friends were being little idiots and jumping off the jetty, and I got a shell in my foot, and I had to have it like cut open. It was still one of the weirdest experiences of my life, having it numb to just feeling somebody slice open my big toe to remove a shell, uh, but then I was laid up for two weeks in July 2012 which is the height of like lance armstrong's reign so i'm just sitting on the couch mid-july flipping through the channels and i come across the tour de france and it's all lance armstrong this and i'm like ah that doesn't look that hard i could do that (laughs) so once my foot healed up i grabbed my mom's mountain bike and just started riding around and i was like yeah this is fun it's a nice nice little outlet where you get to you know gate like you had to set how much you hate yourself and how much you want to suffer on that particular day. Right. And you come home completely tired and 
don't know, you feel like you did something. So I think it's really, it was really just something for me to get out of the house and feel like I did something that day. Okay. So how old were you at that point then? I was 12. Okay. And you hadn't really ridden bikes much before that? No, at all. I mean, I rode my bike to school when I was like second grade through maybe fifth grade. Yeah. So that would be eight years old or something like that. And then I mostly just sat on the couch and got fat. (laughs) And then then I started riding bikes again when I was 12. Okay. And then, and then how did that kind of move into, into racing? Uh, it was just kind of a cyclical thing every year in the summer. I, I would ride my bike as much as I could and I would lose a bunch of weight and then I'd school would start up and it would get frigid and I'd stop riding and get fat. And then the next summer I'd get back on the bike and lose a bunch of weight. And then it wasn't really until I got to college in Miami where it was warm all year round. And that's when I started like started doing triathlon and I joined the triathlon club at the university of Miami just cause I didn't like, I didn't, I had no idea how to go about racing a bike. Right. I had no idea how to find a race or anything like that, but I saw a flyer. Oh yeah. Triathlon club club. Come join us. So I did that for a little bit and I was pretty garbage swimmer and huge runner, uh-huh. but I was lucky, all right on the bike. You, and then or you might've been a my junior year. Well, if you'd have been a great swimmer, you could have been stuck doing triathlons for the rest of your life. But lucky for you, you I know, I, realized you were I really lucked out, huh? Yeah, absolutely. You'd be wearing sleeveless jerseys and like, you know, tall socks. And budgie sweaters. Yeah, but I'd have much better guns and I'd have a great tan line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from there, the, to- I just kind of transitioned into the road scene in Miami because they've got a great road scene down there with group rides every day. And then it, it was just a lot easier once you met the right people. And they're like, hey, come to a race in Doral or come to a race at Brian Piccolo. And it was just like, it was way easier because you were surrounded by people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you can race all year long. So you're always always road racing yeah it's pretty nice and also a curse mostly nice it's mostly nice that's why the three of us are all such exceptional cyclists as well because <laughs> we live in new orleans where you can race all year round so yeah yeah same thing happens. Makes sense. yeah just got real good because we did it all the time right guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean did you find that there was a certain uh you know kind of racing that that you enjoyed or were better at than, than another? Um, so I've always tried to be the type of racer that I wasn't meant to be. Like I always wanted to be the time trialist and the climber, but I'm just way too big. And so I always put all my training effort into that and just ended up spinning my wheels. Uh, and it's taken me a long time to figure out what kind of racer I actually am. Yeah. Which is a, a long way of me saying that, I'm an aggressive one-day racer. Okay. <laughs> not not time trial, not climbing, just flat to rolling terrain and just, hey, bros, let's ride, let's go. Yeah. So, I mean, like the classics, is that would be your, your thing? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, hypothetically, that would be my thing if I were better, but <laughs> that's a really high level. Yeah. I've gotten a taste of that level, and it's humbling. Okay. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so you're in Miami. You're at college. Uh, are you racing for for the university team on the road? Uh, no, they didn't have a road team, which was also part of my decision to join triathlon. Okay. Uh, so 
No, I never did the collegiate cycling, and I'm not really upset that I missed out on that because it's – I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not upset I missed out on it. I hear it's all like sprinter vans and 12-hour trips and racing and frigid weather and like, you know, sharing bibs with your teammates. You're, so you're sad you missed it on that? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That, that's actually pretty <laughs> much any – decent level racing in the states just hopping in a van with like six sweaty dudes and driving to i don't know north carolina when you live in arkansas or vice versa and just like oh it's brutal right i I mean it's so much fun because you bond with the guys you're with you bond and you end up like brothers but at the same time it's just like oh cool where are we going this weekend oh cool 13 hours in a van awesome who's paying for gas Oh, we're going to get reimbursed. Yeah, we'll see about that, maybe. Right. So it is it is a hoot. It's a lot of fun, but it's also really stressful if you don't have the right group of guys. So were you racing for a club team as opposed to a collegiate team back then? Or when did you get started actually doing competitive road racing? Yeah, so I, I started when I was 21. So that would be 2011. And just, you know, Cat 5, Cat 4, just doing my own thing. And then I started racing for a shop team down in Miami, EVP, when I was uh, 22. So from Cat 3 on, I was racing from them, got my upgrades, 2, 1, blah, blah, blah. Went to Belgium, and I went to Belgium pretty much unattached. Just kind of found my own way. So when I talked to Sam, she told me um, something about you went to a training camp. Yeah. So, uh, everybody in Miami, as you can imagine, um, talks endless shit. Just, Oh yeah, I do this. I do that. I know this guy, blah, 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 blah. And there was this guy on the group rides, Noel Aguilera. And he was like, Oh pup. He used to call me puppy. Cause like the way I rode, he said, I was just always chasing cars like a little puppy or something. So he used to call me puppy. Oh puppy. You know, I, I'm, I'm best friends with Johan Bernil. Who, Johan Bernil was the director for Lance's teams right. for all of yeah. his tour wins. Yeah. So he was like, Oh, I'm best friends with Johan Bernil. Oh, we'll, we'll get you on the team. Uh, we'll take you to training camp in Mallorca and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever, dude, you're crazy old coot. I don't know anything about you. Um, and then that winter in December, he sent me an email. And he's like, hey, I talked to Johan. He said you can come to the training camp. He's going to check you out. Uh, you got to buy your own ticket. But we've already arranged a place for you to stay, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what? Is this real life? Wow. <laughs> so that was when it was uh, Radio Shack Nissan Trek. Right. So I got, my own, I got my own plane ticket to Palma de Mallorca. Yeah. And flew over there in early January when I was still on Christmas break, still in college. And I was staying with this guy, Kiko, in like the city of Palma. And yeah, then, it's a beautiful town. Like I've, a, been, I've been there. It's gorgeous. I got, I, might, I must have had blinders on. I got like sick halfway through, like really violently ill halfway through there. Um, and it's just like, it's all just kind of a haze right now, but I just have these like, I mean, I still remember the important bits, just like going to meet the team and riding with these guys on these training rides. And I'm still like cat four mentality, just go out and smash it and just like ride as hard as you can. But it's this world tour team with, you know, right. 25 guys and they're out doing their e- just easy spins for five hours, just basically getting their legs back under them 
like after the holidays. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just like riding along. I wanted to ride so hard and they're just riding so easy. And I'm just like drifting through the the line riding two by two. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's Fabian Cancellara, you know, <laughs> that's Andy Schleck, that's Frank Schleck. And I, it was just so surreal. And I couldn't believe that was happening. And obviously I was nowhere near that level at that point. But I got to meet Johan Bernil and some of my heroes. And basically Johan was like, hey, you're really strong, but you're stupid. <laughs> like, I don't know how to put that nicely. Like, you got a lot to learn. Yeah. Uh, you need to go to Belgium for your style. Like, there's just so much racing. Um, it's flat. It's windy. It's just a, an aggressive, strongman's type of environment where – you could take some of that stupidity and make it work. Right. Stubbornness. Wow. We'll call it stubbornness. It's take like some of that stubbornness and make it work. So it's kind of a backhanded compliment there. Yeah. Oh, super backhanded, but super complimentary too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Super for, for sage, sage words of advice there too, you know? Yeah. So that's how I ended up in Belgium. And I was like, yeah, no, that sounds reasonable. Let me just fly to some place. I don't even know where it is on the map, but yeah, let's do that. What do they speak? <laughs> okay, so January you were, you were at the training camp, and then yeah. when did you uh, make the move to Belgium? So January training camp, I graduated University of Miami in May, and then July I went to Belgium. And did you have contacts there? Did you have a, you know a team to join, or what was going on? No, I had no idea what I was doing. I knew one Belgian guy who lived in Miami role and i was like where do you think i should go and he's like um go to leuven it's kind of central you can get to a lot of races from there so i flew into brussels obviously took the train to leuven i knew nobody in the country not a soul i mean at this point johan lived in uh britain so i didn't even know him right <laughs> so i took the train into leuven got this hotel room i opened up the curtains and i'm right across the street from the stella artois brewery and i'm like to me, that's like the height of Belgian beer. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. This is so much fun. And then after a few days, I moved way west um, to, ironically, East Flanders in Odenarda to stay at this house run by an American, Greg Germer, at the Chainstay. Y'all should check it out. Go to Odenarda, Chainstay, Greg Germer. Heard of that. Um, and then it just, I was there for three months and just raced. And then I got invited back to go on a Belgian amateur team. And it just kind of went from there. So at first you like racing just as a privateer on your own? Yeah, just no idea what I'm doing. I had no idea how to find races, how to get to the race, like what the race was going to be like. It was bizarre. I, I, to this day, I can't believe I actually did it. So, so you just like hop on a train? Yeah. I, I would just like – I eventually found my way to – like found my way through the Belgian Federation site to find races – and then from there, it's just Google Maps and, okay, how do I get a train from Leuven to Hale, which was my first race ever, which was a nightmare in its own way. Um, and yeah, so, just, Are these Belgian amateur yeah. races that you're doing? Are they UCI races? What, what no, these, races are, are you doing? these are all amateur races at this point. Okay. What and is, yeah, it's just, yeah. just, you know, we've all, we've done our local USAC, you know, races here. Um. But what's an amateur Belgian race like compared to, you know, uh, your local American crit? So the level is way, way higher. 
Yeah. But everybody has this idea like, oh, Belgians are crazy. They're such good bike racers. And it's not that. But <laughs> you, sh- you show up to your local crit, cap, you know, one, two, crit, whatever, and there's 40 guys there, let's say. And in that 40-man field, there's a bunch of pack fodder. There's a couple good guys, and then there's you know two or three guys who are gonna win the work, gonna win, ugh, gonna win the race. Like right. you know, you could pick them out beforehand. It's gonna be one of these few guys. The difference is when you get to Belgium, those few guys aren't necessarily better bike racers, but instead of two or three of them, there's like twenty of them, okay. and the field is. If it's a small field, it's 70 guys. If it's a big field, it's 250 guys. Wow. So there's just a lot more to navigate. Okay. So just, yeah, number and just like the knife fight just gets intense. Yeah. So they're not freaks. They're humans. You know, they're, yeah. just, they're skinny Belgian kids. But <laughs> there's just a lot of them. Right. And, and presumably, I mean, with it being such a big part of the culture there, a lot of them have been, have been racing for a while. Yeah, so it's a country of 11 million people, and I think like 10.9 million race bikes or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody races bikes, and it takes two hours to get from the coast to Germany, basically. Right. Like, it's such a small area. So you show up at a race, and especially early in the season where there's only one race on Wednesday, and then one or two races on Saturday, Sunday, and all of the best racers are there. So it's just like this pressure cooker environment, like you're, like you're playing you know, street basketball in inner city Chicago. Like, everybody's there. And so that just makes the level that much higher. So you raced for that season in the sort of Belgian amateur circuit, and when you got invited to join the Belgian team, what team was that, and what kind of races did you start doing at that point? So it was the team of Serge Baguet, who is now deceased. God rest your soul, Serge. Um... It was a top competition team. So that's sort of this gray area between amateur and third division pro where you're mostly amateur. Let's, I mean, you're fully amateur, let's be real. But you get to do these races called top, top competition races, which are UCI 1.2s. And so you kind of get to dip your toes into, all right, this is the pro level. Mm-hmm. But really, that's nowhere near the pro level. <laughs> so that was kind of a nice little wake up call. Like, Hey, you're really good, but you got no idea what's out there. Right. But you're not getting like the Conti or pro Conti teams showing up to those races. Oh yeah. In Belgium, the continental teams can show up to the amateur races. Right. Okay. Uh, and the top comp races, which are UCI 1.2s, it's basically half amateur, half continental teams, and then one or two pro conti, pro conti teams. Okay. So, I mean, the level's there. It's, it's starting to get pretty high, but yeah. it's still predominantly amateur. And, you know, knowing what a small country this is, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, you see, you know, in the spring classics, a lot of the same roads are used on different races. So are you still kind of doing the, you know, the, up the Koppenberg and stuff like that. No. So they, they tend to avoid that stuff in the local races, the Kermesses. Um, so typically a race will just, it'll come through the center of town and then it'll go out through some cornfields and then it'll loop back in through the center of town. It'll be the circuit will be five to 15 K or something like that. Right. Um, 
and they tend to avoid those really historic climbs because they're murder. And you don't want to send a bunch of like sort of competent bike racers up the Paderberg 14 times. Like that's yeah. like, you wouldn't do that to pros. It's crazy. Okay. So it, unless it's like a bigger amateur race, they avoid that stuff. Okay. And, and uh, I mean, what are you getting a big crowd at, at these events? Yeah. So the beauty of those races is that they start and finish, start and finish in the heart of the town. And then, like, immediately they just get the fuck out of town. And they're in cornfields. So it doesn't tie up traffic in the local area. Um, and people can just, like, still be in the town. And they, they go to the bar and they go to the shops. And, you know, they just have drinks. And, like, go about a normal day out. And then, you know, once every 15 or 20 minutes the race comes by. And everybody comes out. And it's like, ah, crazy. Everybody's cheering. And then it just kind of grows and grows and grows throughout the race. Until by the finish, you know, at some amateur tuesday evening race you might have a thousand spectators at the finish it's just kind of like a coming from america where you're used to finishing in front of 12 parents <laughs> it's kind yeah, of a yeah. surreal environment yeah i mean most of the races here your your audiences the people in the other categories uh, yeah exactly yeah like old guys and juniors right that seems uh pretty awesome and are you, so are all these races kermesses then that you're doing, the top competition stuff? No. So you have the kermesse race, which is anybody can enter. You just show up, you pay your 15 bucks for a Belgian license or whatever, okay. and then anybody can race a kermesse. Okay. And then one step higher than kermesse, you have an inner club, which is an organized race of amateur teams. So now you're starting to get more structure and your team has to be invited to that inner club. Okay. So you need a team to do that. One step above that is the inner club where it's only the good teams. And then you get into 1.1 and so on. Right. And in those, so with those, um, it's, you know, a team, how many guys will there be on a team? So the amateur teams have no limit. And so you could have like 40 guys on an amateur <laughs> team, but they'll only send five or six to a race. Yeah. Like if it's a, a home race, like the home race of uh, the amateur team I was on, uh, was Lirzia, and we would send like 20 guys to that race, which is a little unfair. Right. But that's the way it is. But any sort of structured race, it's teams of six usually. And are people racing in roles? You know, is there like, okay, this is a, we're racing no. for this guy today? No. No. Uh, like, if you are clearly the best, then they start to be like, all right, we're racing for so-and-so today. But it is just every man for himself. The whole team environment, team aspect is just non-existent in Belgian races. And that is from, like, juniors through, I mean, you still see it seeping into the world tour at points. Like in, um, what was it, the Amup at Newsblad in 2015 maybe, where you had three three or four quick step guys against Ian Stannard from Sky, and they just yep. blew it because they all wanted to win. So <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's just a cultural thing where everybody wants to win, and that's, that's why they're so good because they race full gas all the time. <laughs> right. That uh, – that- we we call that getting standard over here. I'm I'm sure I don't know if you guys use that, but that's that's a, a term you try to avoid. That gets getting standard. Yeah. 
I've never heard him use as a verb, but that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> or when you say quick step, gonna quick step, right? Yeah, quick step, gonna quick uh, step. Yeah. <laughs> I usually associate associate that with uh, good practices and blowing up a race, but I can see how that would be bad. Yeah. No, I mean, generally, uh, the, the record in one-day races is pretty astonishing. Um, and it's because they're so aggressive. You know, you throw enough darts at the board, you're going to hit a bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. And I think typically the world tour teams are so, I mean, listen to me, I, I know nothing about that level. That's they're on the moon, but typically world tour teams are so buttoned up and structured and they put all their eggs in one basket. And then there's too many ways for that to go wrong in a one day race. And quick step is just like, well, we're going to field eight guys. Six of these guys could reasonably win the race. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, right. indeed. So they just so, let the dogs off the chain. <laughs> so Tom, I'm assuming most of this uh, Belgian road racing is happening in the spring and the summer, uh, and that in the fall and winter things start to switch over to cyclocross. Is that the way it goes in Belgium, or they race road through most of the year? Uh, so the International Slouchings Race, which is the closing race of the year, is October 14th, about 15th, uh, Punta Capella. Okay, and that. Like from that is just the end of the road season, full stop. There's full nothing stop after that. Straight, in, straight into cross at that point. Well, cross has already overlapped into like September. Okay. So that's kind of been building, 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 building. But then after mid October, it's like, all right, let's do this cyclocross thing. And then everybody's just gung ho wearing their galoshes and getting hammered in cornfields. It's great. And did you ever play around with any cross racing while you were over there? No. So I always wanted to. Like, oh, cross is awesome. Everybody loves cyclocross. It's such a cool thing. But I also didn't want to jump straight into hell. Like, like <laughs> that's pretty much a bad place to start Yeah. if you've never done it before. Yeah. So, no, I was always a little too timid to jump in a cross race there. You also probably need a little bit of an off-season, too. No, no, I don't believe in off-seasons. Oh, oh really? <laughs> Just keep plowing on. You change gears. You switch up what you're doing. You take your race fitness, change it, like, Swift transition into training fitness. You take a week at some point so you don't hate yourself. And everybody okay. like needs you to take a break for right. them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I just like to keep going. So Wait, we so what we do just you heard do? some laughter in the background there. That seemed, seemed yeah, to be hitting that's my girlfriend upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what are you doing right now so people don't uh, hate you? Are okay, you so this is a... Uh, that's a bad example right now because so I'm pretty much at the end of my rope with like like super psycho cycling. Uh, so I'm living up in Vermont now and we just got a foot and a half of snow and I've been playing hockey and chomping through the snow. And we're going to go skiing tomorrow and I haven't really ridden much in like three weeks, which is the first time I've done that in probably five years. Wow. So it's a I'm a bit in uncharted territory right now. Okay. Well, well, you might, fun. yeah, you might bounce back from that pretty well. It will come back flying in January, maybe. But I tried to do an hour on the trainer tonight, and I, I almost just threw up and died. So, well, an hour <laughs> on the trainer is like seven, like on, on the road. So, yeah, sure, 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 sure. <laughs> so that day that I did five hours on the trainer, that works out as uh, like a week. It's yeah, like a week. yeah. You yeah. just you like did a tour across <laughs> the Gobi Desert. I don't know how you did that, Matt. <laughs> Oh, that's just I, the worst. Yeah, I, I I think I've done three trainer rides in my entire like five years of riding bikes seriously. 
So me, meanwhile, Matt here knows the uh, knows his way around Swift Island like uh, yeah. like the like the back of his hand. I hear that's great. I've never tried it. Is it good? Uh, it makes training Tolerable. a lot less miserable. Training on the trainer a lot less miserable. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a video game, right? You just get out there and smash your buddies. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually like Call kind of, of Duty fun. for nerds. Well, the thing is, you can <laughs> you can nerds. you can go full gas into a corner and you'll never crash. <laughs> oh, that's great! It sounds perfect for me. <laughs> you could be, yeah. You might end up, you know, that could be, you know, could be a virtual racing champion. Yeah, finally, I'll win something. So we were talking um, before we kind of uh, started recording, and we were we were all admiring your profile picture and the giant <laughs> glass of beer. That you're drinking. Highlight of my life, yeah. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit about that moment? And how yeah, it so came to be? Yeah, so that was an inner club. Uh, the numbers are confusing, but it was a first-class Belgian one-day race. Belgian national one-day race. Uh, the men in classic. So it's top competition teams and continental teams. Um, and before the race, the director, Pascal, comes up to me and he's like, hey, you know, Last race, last year, this came down to a bunch sprint. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'll just sit out and chill and do nothing, whatever. Um, and then, like ten minutes before the start, they're like, no, 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 no. They changed the parkour. They changed the parkour. It's gonna go in the first nine k's. Be ready. And I'm like, oh, good to know. So I just kind of like before the start, I was in the back and I just, you know, rolled up into a bush and took a piss and then slyly just found my way to the front before the start, like up the side. And then it goes, and just immediately this guy from Tartaletto, which is con- a Conti team, attacks, and I just follow him. And then we're off the front, just the two of us, and then we look back, and there's a group of, like, 14 guys coming. And then that was the race. Yeah. There's just, like, 16 or 17 of us from kilometer 8 or 9, and it's 155 or 160 Ks. Wow. Yeah, and it's just crosswinds all day and cobbles. I mean, it was your prototypical... Belgian race. Yeah. It was amazing. And then with 70Ks to go, we hit this little cobbled drag. There's a KOM at the top. And I just follow uh, Rob Rao, who actually used to race for Vacan Soleil, a pro Conti team. And he raced in the Tour de France. And uh, I follow him, let him take the King of the Mountains, and then just rail it over the top. And we just blow up the gap. One other guy comes across to us. And then for the last 70Ks, it's just three of us. And they were murdering me for 70 k's these guys were motorcycles and i was just like hanging on for dear life they're tiny and they got huge engines so i'd be in the wind just like pulling my guts out and then i pull off and like get in the wheel and then i get no recovery and then they give me the elbow right away and then back in the wind i thought i was just gonna die and then we it manages to come down to a sprint between the three of us and like i said they're tiny little motorcycles but they got no sprint i just whipped them Wow. <laughs> won pretty easily and then on the podium i got a huge ass beer and i was like i can't believe this is happening right now i have a they handed me a six liter bottle of beer which just sat in my living room for a long ass time but eventually we had some friends over and got smashed <laughs> um, and then that, that giant glass that you see which probably holds three or four liters yeah. and they just poured a bunch of quermon in it which is the beer yeah and I'm just on the podium, just hamming it up for the cameras or whatever. And I just start chugging it. And I was like, gluh, 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 gluh. and I get like, I don't know, it felt like halfway. It was probably like one tenth of the way. And I was like, 
oh shit, I should probably stop because this is like <laughs> 15 beers. <laughs> like I can't yeah. do this. I'm going to die. I'm super dehydrated. But yeah, I got a good picture out of it. That was my that was my day. That was probably the highlight of my racing career. That just because sounds- it was, I can't believe it worked out. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like yeah, that sounds like a hell of a race. Um, just to back up, can you just tell us a little bit of how that sprint worked out? I mean, there's two, those two guys versus you. Were you in the back? Were you front? Did you lead it out? Did you come around? Did you psych them out? How'd it go? So we blew up a gap right away to like two and a half minutes, and we're like, all right, cool, two and a half minutes with forty k's. This will be fine. Um, and then it starts kind of trickling down, trickling down, because a smaller group had come up to the group that we left, mm-hmm. and now they had gotten organized and they're chasing hard. So that pressure from behind made us keep it together. That that saved me, really, because it made us keep it together to the line because we couldn't really mess with attacking because no one of us could have gone alone and outrun them. Um, so coming into this... Last turn, I had zero confidence at this point. Like, I, I didn't want to race this big. I was just happy to be there. Uh, and it's like a sh- like real sharp off a wide road, basically down an alley, right-hander, and then another sharp left-hander, and then a, like a chicane into the finish. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I got to be first out of this turn. Otherwise, it's over. This last turn into the chicane. Uh, and right before the... Like with 1K to go, maybe, before the first right turn into the alleyway, (laughs) uh, this kid attacks and it just like pops right in his wheel and just followed him. And we lost the one guy, which I was surprised about because he was the one who had been murdering us all day. Yeah. Um, And then he saw him in the wheel. So then he eased up and the third guy comes back. And then from there, he just let it out from like 800 meters. And I was like, I cannot believe my luck. So a second wheel. So this kid Martin is in front. He comes through the chicane. I feel Rob start to jump off my wheel, like to my left. Yeah. And as soon as I see his front wheel, I just like bang go, and my legs were just dead. I was probably out of the saddle for I don't know ten pedal strokes and had to go right back in. And then I looked under my arm and there was just nobody there, and I couldn't believe it. And I look back at the pictures and I start celebrating like. 50 meters out and we only started sprinting from like 100 meters out so it's probably pretty early wow but it worked out yeah i i was like oh i can't believe this it was awesome that's pretty amazing wow i got i got shivers listening to your story so i thanks for sharing with us that was cool yeah yeah man thanks for asking i got shivers too that's cool yeah i mean you know I've, i've got great stories like that where it's like me and two other guys in the the wednesday night training ride and i sprint for the with a town sign and I want it and that's that's my yeah, greatest victory but but, it, but it's all the same like it doesn't matter what the level is when you beat somebody it's just like ah yes like I just had my way with them that was awesome Bodie, like Bodie it, you only got a 12 ounce beer for that win though didn't you yeah yeah you didn't get a, yeah. six, didn't get a six liter beer <laughs> I don't get the six gallon beer yet yeah but it is the same the thrill of victory sort of it, that's the fun thing about bike racing that no matter at what level you can if you when you're with your peers you can have a competitive race and have a good time. So yeah, it's great. Well, so I mean, I'm looking at your um, pro cycling stats right here, and you know, oh no, we, don't do that. <laughs> but we saw that you you rode with a uh, Wanty Group Gobert this last year. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, first, let me say cycling is insanely political. 
Um, I've both been burned by it and benefited from it. And in this instance, I had definitely benefited from it because uh, I had a friend on the team, Frederick Bockert, who you should check out. He's a yeah, I've heard that name. Tall, tall, skinny ginger kid, Belgian farmer. Uh, Belgians love him because he's a farmer and he's just like a pro bike racer. And it's like how they did it in the 1950s. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but I've been friends with him for for a few years, and I I won that race, the Men in Classic, and that like I had some steady results all season. And then I, I won another inner club uh, in July. And so I, I got a stagiaire with the team because he like put in a solid good word for me. Like, oh, you should take them seriously. <laughs> uh, and I got to race with them from August 1st on. So stagiaire is basically just an intern yeah, where yeah. they take you on and they put you in like real races and they just evaluate your level and then decide whether or not at the end of the year to give you a contract. Right. And I unfortunately missed out. Um, but it was, it was a bizarre. It was amazing. Yeah. Like being at that level ever, like once a day I had to pinch myself and be like, Holy shit, is this real? <laughs> yeah. No doubt. It was cool. Yeah. And then, well, to back up a little before that, you know, we, uh, I noticed because you know we're we're always following like U.S. results. We saw you finish second in the amateur road nets uh, behind Daniel Holloway. Yeah, that was a tough one. I uh, uh yeah, with, <laughs> without trying to sound too much of a shit. I blew that pretty hard and it, it wasn't, I didn't blow it on the day. I did a good race on the yeah. day, but something leading up in that week, I don't know if it was the plane flight back from Belgium or change in diet or like what it was, but the time trial the day before hands down should have won that came seventh. I was just way off the mark with like power. That's black and white. Yeah. You know what to expect. And I was just, 10% going on that. I had no idea what happened. Um, and then the next day in the road race, I just started cramping. Like bad, bad cramps after the first hour. And it was just, there were 14 guys away. Four, 13, 14 guys away. And they had a good gap. And I was just kind of sitting back, sitting back, letting the race unfold. And then with two laps to go, I was like, well, if I don't go, the, they're just going to stay away. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And if I go, I'm probably going to cramp up and die or something. So I was like, well, I'd rather die than just let him win. So with two laps to go, I just railed it up this steep little climb. It's real steep, but short climb. So good for, I mean, it's not bad for me. Just hit it there. We got with a group of, I don't know, maybe 10 guys. And from there, we just ate away at the advantage, just basically reeled back in five or six gays. And then we're going into the last lap. All It's all together, maybe 20 of us or something. And I'm just so, like, I can barely pedal. If you stop pedaling, then you, you can't keep pedaling. You can't restart. So you just, with the cramps, you just keep putting a massive gear and just mash and mash and mash. And there's like a, a slight rise to a downhill into the finish. And there was a little bit of slack in the pace right as we hit the top of the hill. And I was like, if I don't go now, I'm going to be 20th. Because I just can't, with these legs, I can't do anything. Yeah. So I just... Took, I took that little slack with a little bit of momentum that I had and just went for it. And it was probably 350 meters. 
And I, I mean, I got a good head of steam going, but I mean, Holloway was right in the wheel and probably 50 meters to go. He started to come around. He won easy, but it was yeah. just so frustrating. When it happened, I was psyched because on the day I felt like garbage. Well, but then like the more time I get after that, I was like, I blew something, something in the lead up. I blew it. And it was just, I was 70% of myself. Yeah. But then it, I guess, you know, if you look at it from the other side, it sounds like you certainly made the best of, of where you were at. Yeah. And so that's the other thing. I feel like I blew it, but at the same time, like, I feel like I should have won. Yeah. But at the same time, preparation is part of it. Like yeah. he flat out, he just prepared better than me. So you take the race day in isolation, I think I should have won. But he did the whole week, two weeks, month leading up better than I did. So, I mean, it, that that's what's like, you know who won. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty black and white. I guess it's got to be pretty no, tough too to come, you know, like you said, if you're in Belgium and you're sort of, you're living that lifestyle and then to come back to the States and race. Yeah, I mean, like that's got to throw things a bit wonky too. So, yeah, I mean, mostly it's easy stepping back here because yeah. Holloway okay. is a class bike rider. Uh, I think he won the points race at a World Cup like a couple weeks ago or a couple days ago. Yeah, he just did. So, Nomium. you can move. Yeah, you can lose the worst people. Right. <laughs> I mean, outside of him, there's really... Well, did it, you know, I mean, did that result, you know, open any other doors for you? Did, did, you know, did you get calls from people or anything? Not really. No? Because um, teams like to see a collective body of work. So if you want to be on an American team, you better be able to show them an American resume. And if you want to be on a Belgian team, you better be able to show them a Belgian resume. Okay. And so the Belgian teams don't really care about second at nationals and the American teams don't care about first in the men in classic. Like it's just kind of. Yeah. It's interesting that how kind of insular that is. We'd probably yeah, be able to offer you a contract down here with our uh, <laughs> local team, urban South racing powered by roulette. Hey man, you uh, buy me some beer. I'm in. There's well, lots the, of beer every week. The great thing race. is we're sponsored by a brewery. So, so yeah. All right. You'll find your way into New Orleans. You know, you definitely have a guest spot and you can be the team leader. Uh, No, no (laughs) issues there. Um, So far, this this is not Belgium, man. We're going to race for you if you're down here. Yeah. (laughs) Air quotes race. Uh, (laughs) But so what's what's next for you? I mean, you said you're skiing right now, but what's the plans coming up uh, 2018? Uh, I'm just going to take it real light. I'm going to do my quality efforts over the winter. Um, I'm not going to break my back trying to do 20 hours a week on the trainer. But I'm just going to do some intervals. I'm going to ski. I'm going to skate. I'm going to enjoy my life. And then next season, I'm going to target a few crits. I mean, USA crits, some PRT crits. And I think if I maybe have 20 quality race days. I can handle that without too much volume. Yeah. I think that's with my grasp. So you're, you're just, you're staying in the States then next year. Oh yeah. Uh, Belgium is great for a vacation. It's great for a year. It's great for four years, but <laughs> I don't, at a certain point you miss home Yeah, and you miss, you miss your girlfriend. You miss box wine and skiing. <laughs> you just want to have a normal life after a while. You're just saying that because your girlfriend's there, right? She was literally just pouring 
wine out of a box and laid on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, that's great because well, maybe we'll get to actually run into meet you in person because I've been known to go to some of these bigger um, PRT races and uh, take photos. So now we have an inside. I man. hope so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, there's, uh, a, there's been a feed for live feed for most of the U.S. Crit series as well. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we've we been definitely watching like those. to watch those. So it's always it's always cool to have someone to cheer for that you, you know, quote unquote, know. Now we know yeah. by Skype, but uh, yeah. And, and are you racing for a you team know me? Year? I think we've, I think we've gotten pretty intimate. You guys know me. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, on that subject, I mean, we have a couple of the races that aren't too far away from here that some of some of our guys go to. Sunny King Criterium, you know, is a big one. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, okay. I've done that. Yeah. So the uh, that one, and then there's the what's the one in Georgia. Athens, uh, Athens Twilight, yeah. Athens Twilight. That's the that's, that's the race of the year, baby. I'm definitely going to Athens Twilight. I'm definitely going to Sunny King, and also Rouge Bay. Oh, Baton Rouge. Well, we'll be there. What Rouge Bay? Yeah. Wow. That okay. is my favorite race in the states. That race is beautiful. Oh, awesome. When, so you've you've done that one that. before. When did you do Rouge Bay? You've done Rouge Bay before. Yeah, I did it. Uh, 2016, maybe. Okay. Got a, I got a flat with like 30 Ks to go. And yeah, that was that. But yeah, I love that race. It's so pretty. Yeah. There's riding along and it's just like, I don't know, swamps and trees and narrow roads and twisty. It's so different from anything else you get in the States, it feels like. Well, yeah. we got to hook up when you come down here and we'll show you around a little bit. And, um, you know, if you're going to be here for more than just, you know, the day of the race, let us know. Well, uh, well, my brother still lives in New Orleans, so I wouldn't mind doing like a week there or something. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. You guys could find me in that. Find your spot to crash, no problem. Yeah, we. Uh, this is good for the podcast, We're setting up dates, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. No, I mean it's great because one of our first uh, episodes, of the podcast, we did a little. Uh, re- we reviewed the Rouger Bay where both Matt and Townsend crashed out in the neutral rollout <laughs> in the men's cat four race. Now, so, why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> he thought we were legit. That happens though. That happens at the, on the world tour. Like neutral is the worst yeah. part of a race. Well, it, it was, just, it was not going, our fault, by the way, not our fault at all. Oh. Yeah. It was, no, it's uh, never your fault. It's never your fault when you crash. It's always somebody else's fault. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I guess it was our fault to be sitting behind two guys from a team called Mayhem Racing. Yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely your fault. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, before, we'd love for you to stick on for our uh, quick trash or panache segment that I mentioned. Yeah, heck yeah. But I wanted to ask you quickly, you raced the Tour of Britain this year. Which, yeah, I did. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah I bet. So uh, you got to go to Scunthorpe, you know, the jewel of of British cities. Uh, how did you Is enjoy that? Where that? You're from? <laughs> I'm I'm from I'm from West Yorkshire, but uh, yeah, Yorkshire. Wait, yeah. hold on. They told Sheepshackers, right? <laughs> That's the Welsh. <laughs> oh, it's the Welsh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's you guys it, have the Brownlee brothers in it, Yorkshire, right? It's also Yorkshire. Yes, we have the Brownlee brothers. Uh, ben Swift. Uh, okay. A lot of, lot of, you know, a lot of good bike riders from Yorkshire. Uh, Tom Pitcock. Right. Are you familiar with him? Oh yeah, me and Tom, we go way back. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, uh, I mean that's a yeah. Was that your first? I mean that's that's a big race. Yeah, no joke. Um, it's a two point HC, which is the second highest level multi day race. Right. Um, a few a few years ago, when I was on Civil, which is a continental team, we did the Tour of Belgium, which is also a two point HC. But I think the Tour of Britain was a little bit classier than that. Yeah. Because um, it's it's like two weeks before Worlds, so you get a bunch of guys who are using it as like their final build right towards a world championship. And so it was really wild being with, I mean, I don't, you're like starstruck. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Some uh, big hitters. And there. it's, what was that? I said, there's some big hitters there. Oh yeah. Hitters. Um, but it's this weird double emotion where like you're at the breakfast buffet or during the race or something and you see somebody like Lars Bohm. Like yeah. I, I've been obsessed with Lars Bohm for years. And it's like you see this guy and it's like, you know, I, I've stalked him on YouTube, like through YouTube videos and I've tried to emulate his style and it, he's like a hero to me and you watch him in races and you like on TV and you're just like jumping up out of your seat and screaming for him and Paris Roubaix and the tour and like, yeah. And then holy shit, suddenly like you can reach out and touch him and you're like, this person is real. Yeah. Like, they're not just a professional bicycle racer they're they're a real human being and so it gives you this weird double emotion of being in awe and being starstruck and being like a, a deer looking down the barrel of a shotgun <laughs> but also like oh holy shit he like he's just a guy he's a person right and it kind of brings it all down to the sort of human level like this is really intimidating but like i can do this it's not Indeed. that crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you can line up against them, no problem. Well, you know, I can get my teeth kicked in, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah, it was just a surreal, I don't, like, just especially as just a stagiaire, not a contract writer, just, like, being starstruck, starstruck and also having to deal with it in the same moment. Right. Now, very bizarre. I mean, like, you're with Wanty there. Did they have, okay, we have a, a leader for the race. This is our guy. We're targeting this stage or we're targeting that. And your role is you're going to go get the bottles or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, so mostly it was go on the break. Try to go on the break. Okay. Tried six times, failed six times. It was really frustrating. It was definitely a baptism by fire at that level. Uh, so our main guy... We had two main guys. We had Zandro Murisa, who's a Belgian, who's sort of going for the overall. And then Mark McNally, who's your fellow countryman, mm-hmm. British guy. He, um, he was going for points. He got in the break the first day and then led the sprint classification and then lost it and then led it and then lost it and led it. And I think he lost it on the last day. So that was kind of our main goal, like get Mark the points. Yeah. Like for all the intermediate sprints, you know, get him to the front, put him in a position to do that. And it was, I mean, mostly he did it on his own. He's capable and for intermediate sprints, it's more about just being in the break and that's all him. So that was kind of our tactic. Yeah. Mark, go in the break. 
And, and how was it doing eight days in a row at that level? So, oh, the level is so high, but because it's so high, it's really easy. It's hmm. like this weird. So, like World War One and Two, there were a lot of deaths because everybody was hand to hand, right? And then nukes came along, and then everybody just kind of chilled out because, like, we can cause too many problems with nukes. And that's kind of what it's like with the World Tour teams. Everybody is so good and so strong that everybody just chills out. And for most of the day, it's just like, you know, your grandmother could do it. Yeah. And then over 10 cases at the end, like, it's decided. And it gets just faster than you've ever gone on a bike. Just insane. But for most of the day, it's just kind of like a stroll, which is pretty nice. So every day I had this feeling waking up like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And then every day it was just kind of like, oh, I got this. This is fine. Wow. And then in the sprint, it's mayhem. Yeah. Um, just what was you said you tried every day to get in the break and you never made it? Was that because the break always got the break that you jumped into got brought back or you couldn't actually get into the break? What were the what happened there? Yeah. So. I say it's super easy every day, but the first hour is bananas. Yeah. Like just, you know, you're averaging, averaging 50 K an hour for the first hour and with speeds touching 65, 70, like on flat roads. Uh, so break will go get a five second advantage, come back another break will go and that'll happen, you know, 15 or 20 times. Yeah. And then at a certain point, a break will go, and it doesn't necessarily look like a strong break, but then suddenly sky's all at the front, and then they just slide across the road, and they just shut it down. Right. And so it's just a matter of being in that right one. And some people have a feel for it. Mark had a feel for it. Yeah. Uh, he's been doing it for years. I don't have that feel, obviously. <laughs> um, a yeah, couple it's... times I was like, next man to go, and then and sky just like shuts it down. And when they shut it down, it is like, nobody better go or there's going to be a fist fight. <laughs> it got right. really tense. So that's just kind of, when the break went, it was easy for it to go. But yeah. until that moment, it was crazy hard. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, we've noticed it, it's been nice in the last few years that like ASO will show the entire stages of the tour now. And yeah. they'll show the entirety of Paris-Roubaix. And there was like, two years the, the year that uh, matt Heyman won year before last year before this right two years ago yeah so when matt Heyman won it took something crazy like over 100k for the break to finally form yeah uh, and that's so that's the difference between the tour and paris bay and the tour is 21 stages and yeah you know everybody's going to get a shot to go on the break and so the breaks tend to go fairly early so they want to let the break go so that they can get an easy ride for the majority of the day. Right. And then there's a controlled bring back and then there's a final. Yeah. But in Paris-Roubaix, the race is so hard that you can do something from the break. And so everybody wants to be in the break, even the hitters. Right. And so, yeah, it just takes longer to go because in that situation, it's not really a – like a, a team taking control and shutting it down. It's more just the right guys getting in the break and just riding their guts out. Yeah. So it's just like, it's apples to oranges, the tour in Paris Bay. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that the different styles of racing, you know, from stage race to, to the classics, and, and the people who are, you know, great at one, uh, it's very hard to be great at both these days, especially, you know, people are so specialized yeah. now. It's a different sport. I mean, you, you compare Froome to Sagan, and they might as well be a, a basketball player and a baseball player. Like, it's a, it's a completely different skill set. Right. Unless they're doing the, the same thing. But unless it's, it's a St. Thomas criterion. <laughs> right? That, that's yeah, where Froome yeah. just beat Sagan? Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Those things are outrageous. I yeah. can't believe they still exist. Yeah. They are, they're ridiculous. Um, speaking of ridiculous things, yeah. I feel like we should uh, do a little trash panache with our special guest. Yeah. Let's do oh, it, heck guys. yeah. Let's do it. Of the guru. so my outfit's tight. When it comes to panache, I can't be beat. So you know the you know the rules here, Tom. You've got you you can only. You can I, I, I know no rules. You, first of all, <laughs> well, so you, I was told nothing about rules. You, you get to vote either trash or panache. You don't get to vote, you know, middle of the road. You don't no. get to vote, okay. you know. You yeah. Can, you know, you can got, you can qualify and you can discuss, but you got to come out on one side or the other you with these kids. Yeah. So I sent I sent you some links. Okay. Uh, I got them pulled up. I got them. Uh, awesome. Where are we starting, Sertirio? Okay, so we now have formally. First of all, can this can this team have a name for more than one more than one season at the moment? Okay. Well, it was Orica for two seasons, wasn't it? Well, they were Green Edge. Oh, that's right. They were Orica Green Edge, then Orica Scott. And then Which was were, the most ironic name in sports, I think. What's it was that? a mining company and like a, a green. Like a green energy company, which just didn't make any sense. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, Orica makes <laughs> Orica's like explosives for mining, I think, right? Yeah. The right. joke of the Yeah You're Right podcast is what what can I what sponsor material can I use to build my house? So <laughs> obviously, you know, Lotto is very popular around my house. Sudal. Uh, Sudal, sorry, damn. Yeah. Well the Lotto would be the I would build a lottery like... and then I would be able to fix my house. Yeah. Sure, it's... sure, sure. Wait, what is Sudal. Delosol is Windows. Sudal make what caulk. Is, they make caulk. And adhesives. C-A-U-L-K, not C-O-C-K. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. That's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That's what she said. Hey. All right. All right. So now they are Mitchelton Scott for next year. Yeah. Okay. And Wine and bikes. Got it. Yeah. Milch- Mitchelton Wines. Is that is that right? Wine yeah. and bikes. That's a good combo. Sure. So yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so, fast straight off before you even ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it looks like your local Cat Threes kit. Um, uh, I think for a wine sponsored team, why would you not bring some like Burgundy into it or something? Why yellow? That's well, yellow problem for Scott, with this I guess. as well. Yeah. Don't like the colors. First off. Mm. Yeah. I do like, however, I mean, going hard trash on this one. But I do like that it 
I think it'll stand out a little bit. So the last few years, everybody's been fluoro or red. Like everybody, there are too many teams that look too similar. I think this will be like, oh hey, that's Mitchelton Scott. Cool, we can pick him out. But on that, it's also a little bit uh, Lotto and El Yumbo with the yellow and black. But they're re- they're reversed though. There's so much yellow and like yeah. a little bit of black. Yep. So I think that'll. That'll stand out fine. All right, so where are you standing on this? Is it, I think it's hard, hard, sure. hard trash. Ooh, hard, hard trash. trash. All right, Townsend. Hard trash. I'm voting trash. Mm. Um, I also, it's harder to tell from the photo that we're looking at here, but it's got this It's yeah. got this weird little texturing around the belly area, too, that, that it yeah. seems to just kind of accentuate it's the belly button. It's sort of a nightclub shirt. I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> you would drink snake juice and... Uh, Rock out in the club in this shirt. This is a kit that could have been good with a few changes, but they didn't come close to making them, and so I think the kit is trash. And it's especially trash in that they took what I think was a nice-looking kit, the Orica Scott kit from last season, and just completely ruined it. Yeah. Uh, I will say it's relatively clean in logos. It's not... uh, you know, I think they did a nice job there. I don't get the little textury thing on the belly and the sleeves. Uh, I liked last year's better trash. Yeah, I'm I'm trash too. I think you guys have said it. It's just uh, I'm bored. All right, let's, let's those damn on. Aussies, they blew it. Yeah, yeah. Don't, right. I agree. The last ones were good. I like this. Is yeah. All right. All right I do let's... like Damien Housen's gray hair though. All right. AG2R. My first. Yeah, Thomas, you go first. Sure. We can change it up. Somebody else want to go first? Let's, cha- let's change it up. I don't okay. want my opinions. All right, All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go first this time. Yeah, since you're 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 the resident Frenchie here, it sounds So this <laughs> this is really hard for me because I am typically a staunch defender of the AG2R kit and of the color brown. Uh, Tom, you don't know this, but but the cycling club that I started here in in uh, New Orleans our first club kits were green and brown. That's terrible. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. They, they actually looked pretty fresh. I think they would have gotten. A, I think. I think I could have gotten a panache vote from you on our on our first club. I kit. don't know about that. You don't know about that. We, I, we should trash or panache the, the five versions of the semi tough kits too. Yeah. We should Ooh, get other on. people. We should get other people other than us to do that. That's true. Yeah. All right, but yeah. but but as much as I have historically liked. AG2R's kits. This one, the, the solid brown bib is a non-starter for me. Uh, it needs some kind of something to break up all that brown in the bibs. And I really, I, I liked the I liked the more patterned jersey of years past. Um, this one is clean, it is simple, but it's trash. Mm. Okay. All right, I'll go next. Panache. Oh, Panache and practical. As my, my granddad uh, used to have a pair of brown underpants that he would wear for traveling, and were they brown when he bought them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna say these are these are practical. You know, oh, these they, are these are for Tom Dumoulin. <laughs> yes. Pract- <laughs> practical in the sense that you can take a uh, them and not know. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have to get off the bike and uh, and go into a ditch. You could just keep riding. Yeah, so, sure, sure. So I actually think it's super clean. Uh, 
it's controversial. I think down the road, I think we're going to look back on this kit and uh, and think it was was great. And I didn't like last year's. I never liked the. I don't like the one shoulder, one color, one shoulder, another stuff. I like this. Yeah, Cleans it up. That. Yeah, this is good. I'm giving it panache. All right. Well, then I guess I'll go, and then we'll leave, have Thomas bring out the end. I trash, straight up trash. Those brown shorts are killing me. Also, <laughs> like, I, you know, I will. It. I do like the the jersey is okay, um, but the brown, no trash. Oof. All right, Thomas. Okay, I'm gonna give you a super long winded response here. We're gonna start with. I've always hated AG2R's kits. The brown is horrendous. Why would you ever have brown shorts? Did you just diarrhea yourself? That's terrible. Practicality. I'm gonna. I'm gonna follow that up by saying, of the AG2R kits, if I just look from the waist up, mm. I think it's great. I think it's panache. I love the the tricolor style where it looks like a national kit. If you're if your flag was sky blue and dookie brown. Yeah, if you were like um, from the nation of uh, UPS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. UPS so of the I, sea. It has this sort of like simple, almost 1950s look to it. Yep. Like title sponsor and then just like colors and a solid short. So I'm going to say panache uh, because my ex-teammate, going to give a little plug here, Oliver Nassen. Oh, yeah, man. Absolutely. You you should be his next biggest fan because he's going to win everything. And aside from being a super good bike racer, he's a nice dude. Like, he's just a cool guy. All right. So, like, you can trust rooting for him. He's just a good guy. He had a terrific, uh, was that, Tour of Flanders? Uh, Flanders last year? Did he finish on the podium? Third, uh, just off E3, the podium. I think he was third. Well, Flanders. he he was on the cobbles with Sagan. Oh, and, when they and, crashed and embraced this yeah, year with the right. jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but that's good to know. We always like to have uh, podcast crushes. So, yeah. Oh, super crush! I love Oliver. Yeah. And let good me just guy. say, Tom, we're two kits into this. You're good at this, man. Yeah. You're, you're good at this. I'm good at this. Okay, yeah. so panache for Oliver. Yeah. All right, you look good, buddy. Nice. <laughs> Next. Okay, next one, Movistar. Oh God, Matt, you go first on this one. I, I, I can't even. Uh, I can't. I can't wait. That's trash. Trash. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even gonna say anything. It's just trash. It's just. I can't. I can't handle it. All right. I, okay. I will say they couldn't even hire a designer. They just stole Astana's kit, and that's it. Well, they stole Astana's kit and then married it to a Sky kit and then came up with this crap. Yeah, I mean that whole fade on the jersey. It's a, it, it doesn't. If it was the first kit that you'd seen like this, you'd be like, okay. But I think they're just. I don't understand why they're doing the fade. I don't. I don't get it. But I think I've always liked Movie Stars kits because they were super clean. Because they just have one giant sponsor. Uh, you know, black bibs, good. The fade into the black. If they'd just gone blue jersey and black bibs, that might be nice. I'd have gone for it. I don't like the fade. All right, Thomas, why don't you go for it? My turn? Yeah. So I was so close to saying panache on this, but, I mean, you just nailed it with, I I don't know, was it designed by a middle schooler? I love that color blue, and I love black, and I think they go together, but what is with the fade? Just have a blue jersey and black bibs. That would just be classic. That actually, that would you're be right. That would look really good. But, yeah. 
but it, it's just trash. That's trash. Right. And it's such a radical departure from previous movie star kits. Like, what what happened here? So, so my vote is, I think this kit looks like some sort of um, off-brand Avengers superhero <laughs> toy you get in like the McDonald's down in Mexico City. <laughs> Third world Happy Meal. Yeah, that that that's, that's some sort of superhero toy that comes out of there. Oh, so, man. trash. Trash. Okay. Ooh. All right. Uh, Katusha Alpacin. Oh, yeah. Am I, am I back to going first? I'll go first. Okay. All oh, right. yeah, Bodie, you're first. Panache. It looks good. I love it. I'm into it. Um, baby blue, not my favorite color, but I think it's nice that um, that they've, they've added a little bit of a different color into their kits besides white or red. Um, wait, can we get a little full shot? Doesn't the back look slightly different? Mm, I'm only seeing dudes. I'm, I'm I like here. I like the red with the lighter red uh, ribbon along the legs. Um, I love Kittle's hair. Kittle's hair looks good. It's very nice that they allowed him uh, to wear the jersey. And then, oh, is that Nathan Haas taking off like his Who sweatshirt? There's one cool. guy wearing a towel. He's wearing an Alpacin towel. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with this jersey reveal thing where they're all like in t-shirts, but uh, yeah, my vote is Panache. Alright, well I'll step in uh, and I will echo that, Bodie. I think this is, of all the kits that have been revealed so far this year, this one might be my favorite. I think it could have been better, um, but I think it's really nice as is. I've never been a big fan of the Katusha kit before, but I think this one is I think this one is a really nice version. Oddly enough, those are my high school colors and I hated them when out together when I was in high school. I thought I had shitty uh, colors for my high school team, but now that I've, you know, got a few uh, got a few years in the rearview mirror, uh, I really like the light blue and red combination and I just think this kit is uh, classic looking, clean looking and the colors work and and I like it. It's panache. And I like the t-shirt that uh, goes along with this. Kind of got a funky design. I like. I just like the whole vibe of their look this year. Mm. All right. Thomas, do you want to go or should I? I'll go. I love them. All right. I think total, total panache. I love the blue. It reminds me of like an ice, like, an, like a frozen pond blue. And I think with Kittle, the Peloton's Iceman, perfect. Oh, yeah. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Hey, we're we're recording your click, so if you could just not mouse so hard over there, Thomas. <laughs> Sorry, I'm scrolling through all the pictures. <laughs> <right ahead. laughs> I, I figured as much, but I was like, oh, we're recording all that. Yeah. Sorry, guys. That's right. Yeah. Too, yeah. Many, too many watts in the keyboard, Thomas. Yeah, too many watts in your finger. I, sure, 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 sure. I'm also, I, I think this is the best new kit I've seen, I think, this year. Yes. It's, it's really strong. I think Katusha... Because if you look at if you look at some of the kits they've had in past years, they've been dreadful. The one with the giant K, especially, was just well, horrific. I thought they've still got the K on the back. Well, that's okay. They've still got the K on the back, and I think it looks really good. I'm also, I think this is a really exciting team for next year too. They've made some really interesting signings. Uh, Nathan Haas, really interested to see what he does, and uh, yeah, and of course they got Kittle now. Uh, Yep, panache all the way. 
This and is... I used to hate Katusha. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. There we go. More? Two more. BMC. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trash on this one too. And it don't, don't need to say much kids. about it. Too much, too much going on. Oh, the butt. Yeah, oh my God, bad was... color combinations. Too much going on with this jagged, weird design. Which it's just like they need to lose that. And move yeah, on. That, yeah. I, what are these weird patterns? And then the gold. I guess that's because he's a world champion, but it looks just like his. Looks arm. tan. It looks tan. Yeah. No, that's gold because he's the Olympic champion. Yeah. 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 But, and the white sleeve on all the jerseys—it just like it looks like a like a cyclocross number, like they pinned to the arm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Horrible. And, and now here is a case where that color light blue, which could be a decent <laughs> color on its own, just looks Close. absolutely heinous. Yep. Trash. I mean, it, it makes Greg Van Evermet look fat in this photo. <laughs> he always looks fat. He, he looks stupid. Worse than I mean, he's, fat. He's he just not looks stupid. Right. Podcast exclusive. Tom Gibbons says, Greg Van Evermet always looks fat. Oh. Okay. All right. It's true. It's true. <laughs> all right. Yes. Trash. I'm okay. going to trash too. For all the reasons that you guys said. That might be the worst kid of the year. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I honestly think Skies is garbage this year too. Anyway, all right. So, all right. This week we went away from the men's world tour to uh, Trek Drops. They just got Trek as their new sponsor. Can I click? Uh, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shift down to get Panache. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think Love we it. all agree on this. I yeah. I like I like that. Uh, I don't know what that color is, but it's not. I thought it was black at first, but it's a plum. I'm plum. Gonna say plum. Uh, guys, that's mulberry. Mulberry. Okay. Yes. Looks good. Um, the stri- I like the uh, vertical stripes on the arm and leg bands. Those are kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just that's it's good. I like it. It's great. Panache for sure. Yep. Panache. Uh, this is also, incidentally, Pantone's color for 2018 is this uh No, plums, it's not, it's not plum. ultraviolet. What? No, it's like purple or whatever. Like purples are in for next year. Well, ultraviolet is the color. That's not ultraviolet. Ultraviolet? Is that what yeah. it is? No. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Anyway, I like it. Uh, pretty cool for Trek to step up. And, uh, you know, they've also... Uh, They've got a big new signing this year as well with uh, uh, Taylor Wiles. So pretty cool for a team that was an amateur team just like a couple of years ago. All right. So we're all agreed. Panache. Panache. Yep. Love it. Well, that was a good uh, segment. And Thomas hasn't heard our intro music. We'll make sure to edit that in. And uh... Oh, Matt. Yeah, Matt has stitched together a beautiful little uh, trash or panache sort of uh, audio montage music. Yeah, to, it's to introduce this segment. So maybe we'll play it again right here. Who tried to match the panache of the guru? so my outfit's tight. When it comes to panache, I can't be beat. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna edit that out. We're gonna put it in.
All right. All right. Well, uh, Thomas has got to go skiing in the morning, and yeah. uh, his girlfriend's got a giant box of wine uh, that needs to be drunk between now and then. So you guys go have some fun. And uh, Don't worry. I knocked out half of it during the interview. Okay, uh, good. So you're like wasted right now is what you're trying to say. <laughs> All right. So now we ask the real questions. No. All right. So- yeah, yeah, yeah. So Thomas, I mean, how can people, if they want to, you know, follow you in your bike racing career this next year, uh, what you got a, a good social media handle you want to give out to the our listeners or our seventy listeners? All right. Oh wow, seventy. Holy. Hey, oh, maybe, in that case, maybe um, seventy-one. Now. <laughs> I would advise not following me, but since I'm a washed-up ex-pro, I'm gonna put in pro and hard air quotes here. Um, <laughs> They should follow. I just started a coaching business, Automatic Endurance. Okay. They should follow that. Awesome. Automatic yeah. Endurance, and that's is that on Instagram, Twitter? Or what? Yeah, it's okay. on Instagram, uh, Facebook. I write hilarious. But I mean, it's not me. It's it's a ghostwriter. Who knows who it is? It's definitely not me. But they write hilarious blogs, and you should check them out. And if you want to cut some corners and maybe skip eighteen months of getting your teeth kicked in in belgium i can maybe help you out with that it'd be good well have fun great okay well we'll definitely big that up on the website yeah Uh, yeah you're right is following you right now you got a new follower i'm so popular (laughs) well well thanks so much for doing this and putting up thanks so much for having me this is a lot of fun had a great time (laughs) i'm thinking we need to just do this again man you know yeah it's just not even just to interview you just to have you on the podcast and talk shit well i think fun well i think that i'm great at talking shit by the way (laughs) we can tell yeah um i'm sure it sounds like your girlfriend agrees too Um, (laughs) yes she does i think that you will have to do like a little live recording uh during rouge bay yeah if you're coming down for rouge we would love to do uh some some more stuff with you there yeah i'm there awesome well thanks so much for joining us and uh this has been great yeah thomas thanks a lot thanks for joining us and we'll uh hopefully talk to you in the future soon yeah thanks for reaching out and i hope to hear from you guys seriously this was so much fun let's do this again sometime okay thanks bye all right thomas (laughs) see ya bye That was a really great interview uh, to record. We had a really great time. Thomas was a great guest. And as I said before, a really good sport, especially considering all the audio uh, issues we had. Uh, We're still trying to iron out some of the kinks there. And we tried to make it sound as good as we could with the setup we've got. And we'll keep working on that down the road. Hopefully next time we get to talk to him, it's going to sound way better. And hopefully that'll be actually in person and uh, we'll get to see him at Rouge Bay. So if you've got any questions for him, uh, send them our way, and we will uh, give those to him next time. And don't forget to follow his training company, uh, Automatic Endurance. That's an exciting new project for him. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, sorry we couldn't get to DSGP because we, we were having so much fun doing the interview. So we wanted to kind of keep this around our hour and 20 minutes-ish probably. But uh, we will have that on uh, next week's episode. 
Uh, I recorded some interviews with some folks there. Everybody had a blast. It was a, an amazing event, uh, DSGP final. And also we'll have some stuff about Namur and maybe a little bit about uh, certain Mr. Froome. We'll see how that story develops. Uh, without further ado, I shall bid you all a good night. I hope so. Should have pressed record. Let's listen to it and see how it sounds.